Hello, it's Josephine here, your performing arts business coach, talent manager, speaker, and mentor. Today, I am joined with the fabulous Christine Denny. Now, I've known Christine for many years. She actually was one of my teachers when I did full-time performing arts college, if you'd believe that, a couple of decades ago. And then, you know, I've you know, been following her journey, I suppose, online and we've connected that way. But then I bumped into her just this year at the Victorian Dance Festival where she was a keynote speaker and she had the room in tears. She absolutely had the room in tears. And I just thought, wow, she, she makes such an impact. She really knows how to move people. I need to get her on business arts and all that jazz. And so here she is today. Now, Christine Denny is the creator, CEO, and director of Tap Attack Oz, which is an elite tap dance syllabus and mentorship program for teachers and students. Uh, it launched in 2008 in Australia, but since then has gone, you know, um, gangbusters, I suppose, and is in several countries around the world. She's been an educator, teacher, and well-respected figure in the Australian tap scene for 30 plus years. And she's also the creator of The Joymaker. Now, the Joymaker is an icebreaker, a keynote, a half-day workshop, a full-day workshop immersion. Um, it's, you know, it's something that she delivers to dance schools, high schools, community groups, corporates, events, and so on. And so I would really, um, really love to share that with you guys. And, and she she does talk about the Joymaker in this episode as well. So we talk all things tap, all things joy, how her world combines from tap to joy and more. Please make welcome Christine Denny. And you will notice my voice is totally gone. Um, I've been quite unwell, I have to admit, while recording this intro. But rest assured, the interview was done prior. And so my voice is intact for that. Thank goodness. Um, but anyway, guys, enjoy the show. Hey there, I'm Josephine Lancuba, and you're listening to Business Arts and All That Jazz. I've been immersed in the creative business world and performing arts industry for over 20 years. I know from experience that being an artist, a creative or running a creative business can be a tough gig, but I'm here to tell you it's possible. I went from having zero dollars to my name and living below the poverty line to then living paycheck to paycheck to finally living a life of comfort, happiness, passion and even stability. In this podcast, I peel back the curtain and share with you the ups and downs of my journey. Plus, I tap into the minds of creative industry experts to discover their paths to success. I know you have a spark inside of you, that little voice that tells you to reach for the stars. I want to help you step into your limelight to have the courage to live a life you dream of, a life that you design. So get ready to be entertained and inspired as we talk business, arts, and all that jazz. Hello and welcome the amazing Christine Denny to Business, Arts, and All That Jazz. Thanks so much for coming on. It's fantastic to see you, Josephine. Thank you for having me. Uh, now, we actually met uh, many moons ago and that was because you were my teacher and I did full-time. Am I am I allowed to say that, Christine? Are you okay with that? <laughs> you are allowed to say that, but it does make me feel very old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know, you've been you've been an educator for 35 years. Um, you're now an author, you're the creator of the Joymaker, you've got your tap attack syllabus. So you've got so many beautiful creative projects there in the space at the moment. And I'd love you to tell everyone. With so many, so many, you know, passion projects running, mm. where did it actually start for you? Like where where did your 
creative journey, I suppose, start? Um, I think actually I've been talking to a lot of entrepreneurial um, people lately, actually in my kayaking group. Um, there's a heap of kayaking um, people I go paddling on the river with and they're all um, very entrepreneurial. And it's interesting. I think some people just have that entrepreneurial spirit. So I grew up in a house where my mum had a dance school in North Queensland for 45 years. So I started dancing actually when I was three, well, sort of, because I had funny turned in legs and the doctor Mm. actually recommended that I start dancing sooner rather than later to try and sort of straighten my little legs out. So I started tap dancing and ballet and all the other disciplines but tap was what I resonated with because I was good at it. It came really easily to me. And I've always called myself a tap nerd, which is why I think I went into teaching tap because I love the machinations of why is tap great and looking at the rhythms and the placement of the accent and how it how it actually sounds good. Like I really love that and I love teaching teachers how to teach tap. So really I guess was quite organic's a very overused term, but, you know, it was very organic that I ended up um, teaching tap. So I taught it. Brent Street, ED5, NIDA, Eddinghausen's. I was sort of everywhere teaching tap in Sydney for a very long time. And then I actually wanted to go into writing and speaking. And that's why I created Tap Attack Oz, because I didn't have anything to show for my 30 years of teaching tap. And so I wanted something like a little package to say, this is what I did. And so I did that, but then it sort of took off and people asked me, could I come and examine their children? So it wasn't created as an examination program, but that's just where it went. So I started examining and then, so for the past, I think it's nearly the ninth year of exams now, nearly a decade of doing exams. And then through the exam process, um, I found that the children were coming in and they were, you know, they'd run in very stiff, you know, good morning, Miss Christine. And I thought you can't do your best when you're really anxious like that. So mm. I tried to create a really sort of happy, friendly environment that was fun, but also geared towards quality. And I think that's something that can coexist. You can do something to a very high standard, but also have a lot of fun. So it took a long time to get the children to realise that they could come into the exam and they could have a familiarity with me as the examiner, but they could also really aspire to be their best. So then the Tap Attack Oz program, very long-winded answer to your very simple question. No, I I love Um, that. And I love that you called yourself a tap nerd because I call myself a musical theatre nerd. So there you go. go. (laughs) Oh, nerds together. Yes, that's it. Yeah. So then with Tap Attack Oz, how it ended up um, growing and expanding was that I wanted the children in the introduction music, instead of just standing there, I thought, no, I want them to create their own introduction because it became obvious to me that children no longer understood the style of the dance fitting with the music they'd become very sort of roboticized in that they were taught everything, do this, put your arm here, do that. And they had no understanding that if the music was like, you know, beginning to see the light, that they had to be, you know, sort of Broadway old style. But then if it was like a funky sort of rock tune in the music, they needed to have modern modern arms and they used to they needed to have a much stronger heavier style and tapping to match the music and they had no idea of this and a lot of them couldn't count in like from the introduction and everything and I thought oh this is no good so 
I then expanded so that with the introduction, the children had to create their own intro. So that meant they were learning how to count the intro. They were engaging with the music, thinking about the music and understanding, okay, that's light and happy. So my intro has to be light and happy. And it also gave them the opportunity to show their individuality. So for instance, a a boy who just started tap but was really good at hip hop, he might do this funky sort of hip hop intro with very little rhythm, whereas a child who was like been tapping for years would jam out this incredible tap impro with all these steps they've learnt from watching different American tappers and amazing Australian tappers. And so I was creating a process that enabled the children to show everything that they could do outside of the syllabus, if that makes sense. So it wasn't just about do what the syllabus requires. I wanted them to show the best that they could be and go beyond the syllabus. Yeah. And this then sort of ex- expanded into tap chat at the end of the exam where they would tell me why they did tap. And people would say, children would say things like, um, I really get bullied at school and I love coming to tap because I've got friends here. And a little boy said to me once, um, I love tap dancing because it's the only place I can be myself. Aww. I know. One little girl said, I come here to get out of my house. going to make me cry, Christine. <laughs> I know. And I'm just telling you all this because it then led me to I just had a real sort of compassion for these children and it gave me a real realisation that there's so much that children get from coming to dance. It's not just about. Um, winning the trophy or getting the prize and that's really become lost and one day I heard a kid come in for her exam and the mother was in the corridor behind me and I heard the mother say to the little girl um you go and get a hundred percent and I was sitting there thinking well Tap Attack Oz doesn't actually award a hundred percent philosophically I don't believe in that in a creative thing I think there's always room for something I have given 99 percent And that's like little mini, you know, Barishnikovs or mini Matt Lees who are amazing. You know, they get 98 or 99%, but they're, you know, only 2% of the number of children who sit for Tapatak Oz exams. So it's not something that I did. And I thought this poor kid, there was no have fun or be yourself or do your best. It was go and get 100%. And then I see all these posts on Facebook all the time now with all these children with their certificates for their 100% for everything they do and their participation awards and everything now seems a photo opportunity and oh and the filming of class and all this sort of stuff now I just think is very um, non-supportive of the children really learning who they are and and loving dance and the expression of dance and so this all these experiences sort of filtered me into the joy maker where now I'm doing workshops for the sort of 15 and over and adults on reconnecting people to their joy because I think social media and all this, oh, I've got so many friends and so many likes has actually conditioned people in a very unhealthy way and um, a lot of what we do in the pursuit of happiness are the exact things that are detracting from our happiness. And so that's how it's all sort of come together. Yeah, I love that. I also find it really interesting your approach um, with the tap chat and that happening in an examination process yeah. because I remember when I was young and, and I did exams, I did ballet exams as you do. Yeah. Mm. And it was um, 
it was very rigid. I, I remember walking going, you know, you had to, it felt cold. It, 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 when I remember it, yep. I remember cold. <laughs> you know? That's right. That's um, right. And so the fact that you're having conversations and feedback and, and just a discussion mm. is, is a really interesting approach. I, I'm not sure if um, this is a controversial uh, question or not, but yeah. in the way of TAP, I mean, a lot of people thought for a while there that TAP might be a dying um, mm. dance form. Yeah. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? Is it a dying dance form or is it still thriving, do you think? Oh, Josephine, there's so much. <laughs> I've got so much to say. All right. Um, tap is definitely very alive and, and kicking. I think it just has a lot less exposure because of the um, the uh, technical requirements to perform tap. So you need a good um, floor, you need a wooden floor, a, a sprung wooden floor, and you need your tap shoes and you need a microphone to pick up the sound. So it's not often the genre of choice for dance schools if they're performing out or in a television show or anything like that. And also like classical, jazz, contemporary, all of those genres, they have a similar technique that underpins it. And so people can cross over quite easily, I think, between jazz and, you know, musical theatre and classical and contemporary so you can put them in those competitions and they can do all the forms but if someone has never ever done tap dancing it is a very technical art form and there's a lot of skill required so it's one of those things that it looks so it's like playing the ukulele you know I bought a ukulele because you see people sitting under a tree and they're just like ding 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 somewhere over the rainbow and you're like oh that looks so great I can play the ukulele too but it's actually really hard you know, it's hard. I, I, yeah. I went into a music store once and I picked up the ukulele and, <laughs> and I was like, wow, what, what the heck do I do with this thing? <laughs> That's exactly right. And tap dancing is the same. People get the tap shoes and they think, oh, I'm just going to put the shoes on with their little taps. I'm going to be digga, digga, dig and be really easy. And it's not. And so I think that is the thing that stops tap dancing having the vast, expansive reach of other genres. You don't see it in film and television as much. I mean, there was Happy Feet and everything. There was all the tapping there and that sort of reinvigorated it. But um, it's definitely out there. But I think it doesn't have as much reach just because it's there's not a lot of good tap dance teachers. And that's probably controversial to say, but it's true. You've got to have a studio principal. Either the studio principal has to love tap and either teach it themselves or see it as a, a beneficial thing in their school and get a good tap teacher in. And how do so, we find a good tap teacher? Well, I think a big problem at the moment, again, very controversial, is that the full-time performing arts schools, to me, don't encourage teaching as a profession. You're very right. I, I don't think it's that It's interesting because I, I, you know, I, I have a focus, which, you, you know, we were at BDF, the Victorian Dance Festival together and all that jazz. Mm. Um you know, my focus is the business of arts and I often think that those full-time performing arts colleges, especially coming from an agenting perspective or, you know, creating professional performing um, performance company perspective, I feel that mm -hmm. uh, the actual institutions where people go to, to learn full-time, if only when I did my full-time course, they told me how to actually treat myself, my art as a business. That's how yeah. I thought. But mm. It's it's interesting in in what you just said because because that's another side of the coin that may be missing as well that that dance and performing arts can be a career in many different forms ways 
That's exactly right. You and know, I think from, from the producer to the teacher yeah. to the choreographer, like um, there's actually so many different avenues, but it is yeah. so hyper-focused on being the performer. Performer. Yeah, and it's really sad because there's now there's hundreds of there's like a, a prolifer is that the proliferation of these full-time performing arts courses. And yet so many of the dance schools teaching Tap Attack Oz, for instance, tell me they cannot find a tap teacher. And to me that there's a real, um, that's just incongruous. How can there be so many, like thousands of students coming out of full-time performing arts courses, thousands, and yet we can't find out of those thousands just a couple of hundred people who can teach tap? Maybe the problem as well, and and this is something like you've just brought this to my attention and and I'm actually, I think it's a really good point. Uh, Maybe the problem is is that we're glorifying the performer and, you know, those who can't do teach, right, that's the same, those who can't do teach. And and to Mm. that I say that's rubbish because some people actually choose to teach. And I say those who can teach. (laughs) Those who can teach. Like I chose to teach. I love teaching. I love you have a, um, and that's probably why, you know, like I was, I think, eight years at Brent Street and about seven years at ED5. And that's why the tap departments, I wasn't the only tap teacher there. I was very, you know, I was really fortunate. I was on staff with, you know, Chris Horsey and Sherry Wakefield and lots of other amazing tap teachers coming in and out. I certainly wasn't the only people person there, but there was a real um, base of people who were there for long periods and that's what makes a big difference. If you've got somebody who's running your tap department or ballet department, whatever it is, who's there for like a decade or, you know, five or six years, it really gets everything um, It really gets everything going. And I think with tap, it's such a um, you really got to love tap to teach tap and I always did because I'm a tap nerd and I just love going in and you have a group of students and then, you know, you create this performance piece and then they go on stage and they do it and you're like wow that didn't exist before I put it together Mm. you know there it is I found the music I made up the steps and here's little Sally and she used to be so shy and now there she is you know doing her you know doing her her tap dance routine and it gives them such um such confidence and I'm going to go back to tap chat here because it's a really great I love this story it's one of my favorite um in my joy maker course I talk about your 5 p.m., which is your five proudest moments. And um, all of the proudest moments in my life are nothing to do with winning a trophy or creating Tap Attack Oz or anything like that, none of them. They're all interpersonal moments that really connected me on a heart level to the person I was connecting with. And one of them is a little girl. I used to do a workshop every year at her dance school in about, hmm, or June or something, and then I'd come back in August for the exams. And this little girl was so anxious and nervous and her hand used to shake like this and she would always cry. So every workshop, like three years in a row, she would just burst into tears in her tap class. And in the third year of all this crying, I said to her, I can't remember her name actually, I'll call her Sally. I said, Sally, I don't know, you know, you've got to get rid of this little, I call it mini me. I said, mini Sally, when mini Sally tells you that you're no good, you've got to say, go away. I'm fine. Thank you very much. I've done all my practice and I am good. I said, so when you come to your exam, you know me, you've seen me before. She says, yes, Miss Christine. I said, right. So when you get upset, you're not going to cry. 
that's you're going to be your big goal for this year. You're not going to cry. Anyway, so she comes to her exam. She finishes her whole exam. She didn't cry. And I say to her at the end of the exam, so Sally, what's the best thing you did in your exam today? And she just went like this. She went, oh, I didn't cry. And she punched the air and she was so excited. And in the Tapatak Oz exam, the process we do, the teacher is in the room for the exams playing the music because I don't see, for me, what I'm trying to achieve. It's a team effort. The examiner, the the teacher and the student, we're all a team on the same level. It's not hierarchical like I'm sitting at the top. We're all a team together and you want the teacher to see what the child did in the exam because they've been working with them for, you know, however many terms. Anyway, little Sally punched the air and she was so excited. Her teacher was crying. (laughs) I was crying. (laughs) And it's these moments that aren't always reflected on a report card, which I think it's a real shame that the parents don't fully understand and value that sometimes their child can be achieving the most huge things personally. But this doesn't mean that Sally was still going to, she wasn't going to get 96% for her exam. She went up a lot in levels. Her achievement personally outside the realm of tap dance was just phenomenal. It was incredible. It was beautiful. We were crying. But, you know, on, on the piece of paper, yes, she had a, an incremental increase in her tap technique and her tap stuff, but it wasn't reflective of the the monumental leap she made in that exam was never going to be reflected in her report because it's just not how it works. And that's what the parents don't see. Like sometimes the child just walking into the room and saying, good morning, Miss Christine, is a massive hurdle because the year before they had their head down and they were so shy. And then they yeah. walk in and they've got their head up and they're confident and they feel happy and, you know, and that's what I learned in Tap Chat, you know, the, the children reveal a lot about themselves and how they're feeling. But it yeah. took about six years for Tap Chat to be effective because the teachers were coaching the kids on what to say. I love tap because it's rhythm with my feet. And I'd have to say, no, 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 I don't want a coached answer. I want the child just to speak from their heart. Of why that's interesting that it was a coach dancer as well, but you know, and and it's and it's an unlearning, isn't it, of, of everything that we've been taught in the past? And I think that that's a really important lesson too, not just for the student, but really for the studio owner and for the teacher to mm. unlearn how they were examined in their time and and you know how yeah. it is shifting. And I can see that your focus is obviously on the joy and you know and I, yeah. and I looked into your joy maker and you and you <laughs> delivered a, a speaker's um presentation uh at the victorian dance festival as well which so mm-hmm. many people were in tears and 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 loving but <laughs> not sure if that's the effect you want but it, it means it's an impact right which is beautiful um you yeah. talk about the joy maker combining uh you know nature other self and love talk about that so what yeah. is the joy maker? Okay, so the joy maker really, um, it goes back to I think we've become very disconnected from our own personal values. So it's really what I call values-based living. So living around your own sense of values. So for instance, if you're an old school teacher, and I just wrote um, a blog about that for Tap Attack Oz that came out today because one of my clients said to me, we're creating beautiful humans. And I think that's so important for dance teachers 
to remember we are creating we have most dance teachers have a huge impact upon their students it goes far beyond just teaching them dance steps i mean it's often how to present themselves how to do your hair makeup how to walk into a room and hold space um how to speak clearly resilience courage creativity confidence working as a team there's so much stuff that kids learn from coming to um from coming to a dance class and that all revolves around your own set of values. So if you're an old school teacher, um, it'll be all about sort of, you know, integrity and being the best you can be. And, you know, I've got some clients who've got amazing, beautiful sayings all up over their wall, which are not to do a, about winning. It's to do about um, being kind to the other people in your class, being respectful, all this sort of thing. And so I think you can't just say, like I, I say when I teach the joy maker, you're not there to agree with me. You're there to define who you are and what's important to you. And you're going to know that from listening to every reaction that you have to everything that I say. So even people listening to this podcast now are going to learn a lot about themselves and how they want to run their studio by listening to what I'm saying. You might be sitting at home listening to this going, no way, I'm just, there's no way I would have my kids speaking in an exam. No, they sit, they don't, you know, they have their hands behind their back and they don't speak and that's it. Well, I'm not saying that's that's right or wrong. That's in alignment with your values and you should live in alignment with your values. My values are that I want a really relaxed student who feels happy and engaged with the arts because I see the arts as a really happy thing. I'm certainly a hard taskmaster and I like things to be very quality driven, but I just happen to believe, you know, that you can do both. But on the other hand, um, I don't believe in participation awards, like everybody gets a trophy. I, that doesn't align with my values. But that's not to say it doesn't align with someone else's. So everyone needs to run their own ship, have to be the captain of their own ship and run it in a way that's in alignment with their own values. So the joy maker is about digging out what is really of value to you. For me, my highest value is integrity, followed very closely by honesty. So for me, I would rather be honest and lose a client than retain the client and have to compromise my honesty and integrity. Um, and that's seen me lose a lot of clients over the year, over the years rather. But I'm that's who I am. I, I can't lie to people and sometimes I might be a bit brutal, <laughs> but um, I'd rather I'd rather have that honesty and have that integrity. Other people, their value might be profitability. And so for them, it's important to keep everybody happy and to be profitable. That's their value. You just got to know where you sit and what is of value to you. And I think people become unhappy when they try and live their life by someone else's values. And you hear them saying, oh, well, so-and-so gives everybody a trophy and da-da-da-da. Well, it's no point you doing that in your dance school if you don't value that because you're just yeah. going to feel a traitor to yourself. Well, one of my top values, I one of my core values is resilience. So um, it's interesting because whenever we have a child, and this will sound terrible to some, but to me it actually isn't. Um, if a child says, "Oh no, I've broken my wrist. Um, we can't, we can't be in the musical theatre production," and I just think, well, and then we always respond, "Well, we're actually an inclusive theatrical program. So even if your child was." you know, needing crutches or was in a wheelchair, they could still be a part of our show. I mean, sometimes I'm like, if they didn't have a hand, they could be in our show. So what's the difference if their wrist is broken, you know? Yes, um, yes. I actually don't 
I don't buy that stuff. Like we had one kid mm. who had a, a, a sore toe and they were one of our lead characters coming up um, in the production and the show was in a week. And I said, oh, look, you're okay. Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You're going to be okay. And I think, and if you need support, like if you need to wear something or if we need to adjust the choreography or perhaps you don't move across the stage in certain sections to make you comfortable, mm. We're okay to make you comfortable, but I don't want you not to do it because of your toe. I want exactly. you to be really proud that you've achieved mm. the outcome. It turns out that that child was actually really more nervous about the lines and was using other excuses. That's but I right. Didn't let them off the hook. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we had a, um, yeah, we had a student um, in one of my dance schools, and he got um, badly burnt in a bit of a kitchen accident. And so I said to his teacher, oh, I'd be really ashamed for him to miss out. And, you know, but she'd already, she's an amazing teacher. She'd already come up with this great idea. So he sort of was like pretending to be a DJ, you know, in the centre of the of the thing, you know, and then all the kids were tap dancing around him. And, you know, he's back on his feet tapping now, which is fantastic. And, um, but it's exactly that thing. Like her attitude is just, you know, exactly the same thing resilience participation you know get up there and give it a go and so you know they found a way to to still have him included to work to make um, work. the performance now you you yeah. mentioned actually um and I saw this on your on your website which I thought was very interesting um pigeon you you talk about pigeonholing people or ourselves into certain roles in life and how mm. we we do that and I thought that was really interesting because I do think people tend to do that especially in the arts I'm I'm this particular artist, or I and well, yeah. I'm a performer. I'm not a teacher, or whatever it is, mm. you know, or even just that I'm an artist and I can't yes. be anything else. So, right. what's your take on that? Oh well, you know, people have more than um, one skill to their bow, shall we say? And I think a lot of people who work at a high level or who like to go and do lots of different things do have a lot of different skills. And um, you know, for instance. You know, I wrote a children's book, which is all about nature. So, but people see me very much as Christine Denny tap dance specialist. Yes, um, I saw that. That was um, yeah, job nature. Yeah. So, and I, wrote, I, and I must admit, when I saw that, I thought, oh wow, that girl's very left field. Yeah. Right, but it's not. That's what you're it's trying to not. say. Like you can do am, what you want to do. I am a multi-dimensional, multi-faceted human <laughs> being, Josephine. I have so no. many. I mean, a lot of people probably didn't know that when I was younger, I played drum kit in like three bands, you know, and that's a skill I wish I'd kept up a bit more actually. But, you know, so like I play drum kit, um, I'm a tap dancer and a tap teacher, but I love writing. So I'm currently writing um, another book, which is all about joy, bringing joy into your life, which is based around the joy maker experience and the workshop and everything. So I'm currently writing and I'm a, I am I do consider myself a bit of a wordsmith, like I love words. Mm. I'm a word nerd. There we go. Oh I'm a God. word there nerd. Oh. Okay, so so mm. that, that message there is basically to to just be free to be who you want to be and, and not feel That's that right. you have to pigeonhole yourself into any That's sort, right. of, like, sort of area. That's right. Like if I just stayed being oh Christine Denny the tap dancer and I love Christine Denny the tap dancer and I love Christine Denny tap attack Oz I love that person but I equally love my book Great Job Nature which is about connecting children sort of like the five to seven year olds connecting them back to nature but it all sort of came from my tap dancing because when I was teaching workshops in the old days when you taught a workshop if the senior students were up dancing you know we were getting ready for the 
uh, you know, you do a, what do you call it, a rehearsal tech run in yes. the theatre, all the junior kids would be like this, oh, just looking at the seniors, so excited. And then I look down and they're just all on their iPads. Mm-hmm. And they're like at five years old and I'm like thinking, wow, you've got an iPad and you're five. I didn't even have an iPad. But I'm mm-hmm. just seeing what has happened where that's that, that's a thing where kids now, they're sitting in the in the um, theatre and they're just on their iPad. They're not even looking at the senior kids doing their dancing. And so that just spurred in me this. I wanted to get kids back out in nature because I think nature is so incredibly important. And for uh, for adults, if we... Look at the seasons, you know, spring, summer, autumn, winter. I've got the itchiest nose today. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Sorry to keep doing that. Um, if you observe the seasons, they teach you so much about the ebb and flow of the human life. You know, we're not always in spring. Sometimes we're in winter, which is when we hibernate and we rest. And then sometimes we're in summer when we see the fruition of our efforts. Spring, mm-hmm. we're making things happen. You know, autumn. You know, you're getting ready and you're gestating an idea and things like that. So, you know, the seasonal changes are reflected in our own lives. And if adults connect into that and just, you know, go out, take your shoes off and plant your feet on the grass and on the earth, such a powerful thing to listen to the wind, to be in that silence and that space. And I wanted children to have that opportunity to to connect in with nature. So I wrote this little book and um, sort of did that. But I'm really a creative person. I'm not very good at selling what I do because I have very little interest um, in selling anything, um, which is funny. And I think a lot of creative people are like that. I love the creation. Like I love creating the book, but as soon as it was created, I'm just like, oh, okay, next thing I'm going to write another book now. Like I love the the creative process and working with words. And I think a lot of people overcome that though, because obviously when you produce something, you want it to be seen or to have reach. So do you look to others for help or how do you, Um, and this is for any business owner, really our creative business owner, because we do tend to do that. I I know I've created things and then gone created. (laughs) Yeah. Created. (laughs) Goodbye. Thank you for coming. And it's like, but you just spent all this time and money and and it's like, aren't you going to, it's like, oh, yeah, now I have to sell the to thing. Sell it. Yeah. Um, and I can well, sell, but sometimes yeah. I don't want to sell. You know? No, that's right, you don't. But I think um, I'm learning now to be a little bit more relaxed about things and this is a bit of the spooky-dooky side of me. I'm, uh, I love the – I do believe in – like I was just saying to a friend earlier today, I've been for some jobs in my life where I thought I was so perfect for the job. I'm like, I'm just, they're going to be like, we want you. And they're like, no. And I'm like, oh. And then other jobs I've gone for and I had no experience and then boom, I just got the job and then I had the job for like two or three years. So I think you just, I always say just keep throwing stuff at the wall and what's meant to stick will stick. You know, just keep, and you never know when an opportunity is going to come, you know, Mm -hmm. from you know, it might just come from somewhere that you're not expecting. You're like, oh, wow, you know. So, but, you know, selling what you do. When I was um, in the tap dancing time of my life, I was really lucky that um, Jackie Howard gave me a job at Brent Street right back. This is when Matt Lee was a student. That's how old mm-hmm. I am. Um, so right back in those days, I call them the the the, the amazing Brent Street days, you know, when they were above the shoe store, above Highland Shoes in um, Camperdown. Mm. And, you know, I took one class a week. I got offered four hours. I'd just come back from London from um, college at a performing arts school in London. And I'd come back 
And I said to my sister, oh, I don't know what to do. I've been offered one hour a week teaching tap at Brent Street and I've been offered four hours at this other place. And she said, take the one hour at Brent Street was the best decision I ever made because I just had, it just gave you prestige. You know, at the time, I think Brent Street was the only performing arts school in the whole of Australia. It was a prestige for sure. It Um, was massive. I'm saying back in the day, which makes us. (laughs) I know, I know. But you know, know I was so, I was so lucky because. I was teaching on a staff with Kelly Abbey, Jason Coleman, Roy Dudley, Troy Rowley. All these people were teaching next door to me and I was just like I learnt so much from them, from watching them teach. And it's just like the being the stage manager one day a week at the Capitol Theatre versus full-time at an independent theatre. So yeah. do you take the one day at the Capitol or do you go full-time? Like, you know, some would say, oh, I'll take the full-time job, but then it's like, but if I go the one day at the Capitol Theatre, then yeah. my opportunities will open and broaden. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I always and the times have changed. You know, there are lots of full-time, really quality full-time colleges. Yeah. It's a different era for sure. It's a totally different era. But back then, you know, and then I built my whole career on the back of that really, because it was in the old days when you sent out a paper resume. So I just sent my resume out to all the dance, the regional dance schools, mm. and every holidays I'd be out teaching workshops and all this sort of stuff. And and I was writing um, a Let's Talk Tap, I think it was, for Dance Trade Drain magazine and then Dance Life when Clint Salter ran it. I was doing a On the Couch with Christine and we I yeah, interviewed yeah. people and stuff, and that was that was heaps of fun too. So I was lucky I got a lot of opportunities and and all that sort of stuff. But I want to go back, way, way back, we were talking about the full-time students um, and how they're not really encouraged to teach. But the other thing they're not really made aware of is the vast amount of opportunities for them to create things for the general public experiencing dance. Yes. And one of the most rewarding things I've ever done, although it was all it it um it was quite challenging in terms of emotionally was I signed up to teach um, dance for Parkinson's, which is a dance program for people with Parkinson's. And um, I spent a good year, maybe two years, teaching that program in Sydney. And, oh, it was just, honestly, Josephine, like if you needed something, nothing, nothing gets you out of the doldrums more than volunteering or going and working with people who are really facing a challenge. And then it really helps you just get yourself together and think, you know what, my life's actually quite fabulous. Yeah, yeah. I've actually worked with disability. Um, I've run uh, vocal workshops with people with disability and there was a particular um, nursing home that I used to go to for a couple of years. And to be honest, I moved quite far away from them at one point and I was still trekking an hour for this one-hour class which Mm. honestly didn't pay me very much. Mm. And I just couldn't let them down. <laughs> and I loved it. Like I was teaching people um, who had no voice how to sing. Literally they couldn't use their voices but and people mm. didn't understand that as a concept but it was mm. the joy. So some of them had no sound coming out of their mouth or couldn't articulate the words but they mm. were moving their body and they were excited yeah. and they were mimicking it and they were a part of it. And mm. it's really mm. rewarding work. So I totally get oh, it. it is. Yeah. yeah. I stopped remember. when I fell pregnant, actually, because then I was like, it's just a bit too much for me now. But, yeah. yeah. I remember I got invited to come and teach, I think it was Virginia, the beautiful Virginia 
Is it Virginia Ferris? Yeah, Virginia Ferris does a lot of work with disabled people. And she invited me to come and do a class um, about bringing dance or movement to disabled people. And I think the people in the class, they were more like nurses and disabled aides or something or other. I can't remember now. It's so long ago. But I just remember talking to these people about looking into the eyes of the people that the disabled people they were teaching and to really connect with their soul and their heart. And remember that if they were doing an exercise, for instance, and they were going, you know, reach your arm, reach your arm, the person, the disabled person may not physically be able to physically reach their arm. But if you look deep into their eyes, they might only be going like this. Totally. Yeah. But you will see this immense joy coming through their soul, that they're connecting, they're listening to the music. And and I remember that with a gentleman who had Parkinson's and like we do, he could only move hardly, you could hardly even see his head. Like he'd just be going like that. But on the inside, he was going like this. You yes. know, his soul was going like that, if you like, but his physical body was, you could hardly even see the movement. And I I would really love, I would relish the opportunity to go into all of the performing arts schools and talk to them about the incredible opportunities that exist, teaching things like dance for Parkinson's, teaching seated dance classes for people who are disabled or the elderly, the impact of music on people with dementia. Um, I remember one of the dance for Parkinson's ladies, she came up to me and she... um, and, you know, and share them stories of tap chat that they see the the incredible joy that would come from running a dance school when you're coming from a place of yes you want to achieve and you know you might want to win an and win in a Stedford but the joy isn't the trophy the joy is the learning that got you to the trophy the same as an exam we've lost the thing that it's not about the certificate that says honors for you know junior whatever it's the process and the learning that got you to the certificate and I would just love the opportunity to go in to all these performing arts schools and share with them my my journey and my experience of where the joy comes it comes from these interpersonal moments and connections and the effect they can have on it on the community by seeking out teaching and the bringing of arts and self-expression and creativity to the general population is so amazing and it's such a wonderful career path and it can be a self-determined path like if you start your own school you know you could start yeah, a dance it doesn't have to be the the um default you know yes. like that's yeah. that's what people like oh you can always fall back onto that. something else yeah people's um attitudes and opinions do need to shift and change I think in that space for sure and it does actually start with the studio and the educational facility in which um, these artists are being mentored especially when they are at that level where they do want to make it a career and they're in there for hours and hours hours. and the irony is that they're you know the irony is that without their teacher who got them to their audition for full-time they wouldn't get into full-time it's it's such a um juxtaposition that there's such little respect for the teacher and for teaching as a career and yet without that very thing you wouldn't have a career yeah absolutely you didn't have the passionate the passionate teacher who like I remember my um primary like 
there's that famous Maya Angelou quote is you don't remember what people said to you, you don't remember what people did, but you always remember how people made you feel. And it's such a powerful quote and it's so true. And so in The Joymaker, I talk about being a shipple and it's like, you know, the ripple effect. You ripple out into the world, but you're the captain of your own ship. So in effect, you are a shipple. And what is your shipple creating as you ripple out through life? Are you are you shippling out joy? Are you shippling out anger, resentment, frustration, happiness, contentment? And this is all stemmed from my dance background because I just don't think there's enough focus on whilst having excellent technique, really connecting into the joy. Like I remember when I was in ballet, I wanted to be a ballerina, but, you know, I was like short and fat with little turned in legs, so it just wasn't going to happen, you know. <laughs> oh, gosh, I love that, yeah. That's oh, great. there's some classic photos of me like this, you know, <laughs> in my arabesque. But, um, yeah, like that was never going to happen for me. But I remember going to ballet class and like doing my port bra and I just loved it, like the love of the music and the flow and, oh, God, I just loved it. I really, really, really loved it, you know, and I was lucky that I still got to experience that. And getting back to your question about tap, one of the great things about tap is I'd like to see more dance schools use it as their entry-level genre because it is so inclusive. It's great for boys. It's great for girls. It doesn't matter if you're fat. It doesn't matter if you're thin. It doesn't matter if you're old. It doesn't matter if you're young. All you have to do is feel joyful and love music and love rhythm. So it's Mm. very, and it teaches, you know, timing, rhythm, discipline it definitely teaches that timing and rhythm oh my goodness it's so helpful for that I mean I did tap growing up um and I absolutely loved taps I still Mm. remember my one of my favorite routines to love cats from the cure (laughs) (laughs) when we were dressed as cats I still remember cats cats (laughs) 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 you watch all these people listening they'll all be going oh that's a great idea let's do love cats (laughs) (laughs) so good so good um well I could speak to you all day Christine I am in show week but um so so I can't speak for too much longer but I would love to ask you before we wrap up today's session uh, a couple of last little things so firstly uh who or what inspires you most who inspires me all the people who inspire me are people who are unique they're really unique and they are passionate about what they do and most of them aren't actually in the dance world so I'd say people who I love um um the late Steve Irwin Mm. he really inspired me because he was just so passionate and he walked his talk he was so passionate about animals and nature I love him I really love um Jamie Oliver the chef I heard him on a podcast once and he said, it's very hard in this world to do anything of quality anymore. And he said, running a restaurant, if you want to have quality produce, quality conditions for your staff, quality food, it's very hard to compete because we've become a world that's about quick, easy, cheap and fast. Yeah. And and I love that he did that whole thing trying to, you know, with the school dinners, trying to bring healthier options to children. So I find him incredibly um incredibly inspiring and there's a guy I can't remember his name he's got I think no arms and no legs and he's a motivational speaker I know, I know who you're talking about Chris um, something is it or Nick yeah or- I find him really inspiring yeah. I love him um yeah so I find people who work um oh Kathy Goss who I used to teach uh, dance for Parkinson's with I always found her incredibly inspiring her classes were so beautiful um 
Adam Blanche, who teaches contemporary, he's a good friend of mine. I find him really inspiring because I've watched him teach and I he talks about the moment between the moment and I just love that. So I love people who I always loved when I organised workshops, watching the other people teach because I love people who are really passionate about what they do. So, yeah, anyone who just is genuine, genuine has integrity and who's passionate. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really um, interesting what you said as well, um, finding inspiration in pe- in people in all sorts of areas, like not just in the arts, and mm. how that can be that can actually be applied to what we do. I mean, even that comment about Jamie Oliver and uh, the quality in which things, you know, in in this cheap, fast world, it's true, and and I find that flowing onto everything that we do. And it is even just so hard to produce a quality production these days. The costs mm. are so exuberant and impossible, mm. <laughs> you know. it's yeah. So you have to, you know, where do, where do you cut the quality? Uh, and sometimes mm. you don't want to sacrifice quality. So it can be really challenging no. for sure. But to find inspiration in those people is, is awesome. Yeah. So well, I think anything's. Sorry, but one last thing I just want to say, I think a really important thing for me in life is human. The humanity Mm. of being human I think is so important. And whilst there's all this technology and everything around us, everything I do comes down to connecting people as human beings, looking people in the eye, feeling the energetic touch. Um, Yeah, anything we do, especially in the arts, I think it's so important. Yes, you can, you know, people said to me, did I teach tap dance via Zoom? you know, during restrictions. No, I didn't because for me there would be no value in that because I love the the energy that a human being brings. Like there's all this chat GP or whatever it is now where you can the computer can write all this stuff. Yeah, or, AI, AI. Yeah, yeah, paint a picture and everything. But I don't believe the human, the, the intention of the human being who creates and the act of the creation is what being human is and then the the collaboration and the interaction between all the human beings going about all these stuff is what makes us human. And if we keep taking out all these processes and replacing them with robots, then I believe we're limiting our own function as human beings and what we're actually meant to be doing. That self-expression and creativity and individuality, which is expressed, if a human isn't expressing it, then that humanity is lost. So I'm all about human connection and connectivity and stuff like that, mm, whether it's being that. the joy maker or, and I think when when human beings stop and they, if people realise the power they had, they would never have a sad day in their life because people, I did a workshop for some students at an Anglican college recently and I asked them if they thought they had power and they all said, oh, no, the government has power, politicians have power, we have no power. And I said, that's not true. In every moment you impact the people around you. It's incredibly powerful with a smile, with a good morning, how are you? Can I carry your pram up the stairs to your neighbour? Can I sweep your, your veranda for you? Like it's we have incredible power but we just need to get out there and impact our own little communities and it will all grow out and we'll all be beautiful and happy together. Yay! Yay. Do you, are, you, are you happy? You, 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 you talk about joy. Yeah. Do you have joy within yourself. I do most of the time, but I can swing quite violently to mm. self-critical time. But they say that um, teachers teach what they seek. 
teachers teach what they seek and I think that's um why I teach joy because I've always been a seeker of joy a seeker of um contentment and flourishing in the human condition if you like Mm. but I would say generally I'm quite a joyful person and as I'm older now the irony is that I my perfect life would be just living in a quiet country place waking in the morning having a coffee walking through nature looking at the birds saying hello to a kangaroo coming home playing a game of cards sitting by the fire and doing it all the next day that for me is a magical joyful existence it is in all the little things but in order for me to get this message out to people i have to engage with the other things which mm-hmm. i think a lot of people probably feel that way but that's the only the only thing but yeah i'm having making a pot of tea is the most joyful exuberant amazing experience when you take the time to put the tea tea leaves in the pot and clean your pot and then put the hot water in and then invite someone around whose conversation you genuinely love and then you pour the tea and you just sit and you have an amazing conversation with a beautiful aroma of tea and maybe a scone. It's just magical. Yeah, it's so, just simple things. It's, it's the simple thing. And, yeah, and having that simplicity. Okay, yeah. so what's coming up next? Is there anything you want to share? What's next for Christine Denny? Oh, What's next for me? Well, I'm writing this book, so um, I've just sort of nutted out all the chapters now. So I'm just uh, writing a book about joy, the joy maker experience. You know, bringing joy to your life, and that'll be a great accompaniment when I when I do workshops and stuff. But um, I'm speaking at the Chiquetti National Conference on what's today in a, in a couple of days' time at the um, Thomas Dixon Centre in Brisbane in the Talbot Theatre. So that should be fantastic. I'm really looking forward to that. So we'll see. Um, if we have more tears. <laughs> so and and with this book of yours, is this going yep. to be like who's it for? Who's this who are you writing for? Uh this this book is going to be for adults. So anyone I would say sort of 15 years and over, anyone who's anyone who's um seeking a joyful life and just wants to reevaluate where where they are and, and, and what's going to bring them joy. Because like I said, it's so it really is simple and you choose to be joyful every day, but there are a lot of strategies and just really common sense thing. But it's it's like dance teachers say, when I go and examine and then I give feedback at the end, the dance teacher says, oh, I'd be t- I tell them that every week. And I'm like, yeah, it's different when someone else says it. And I think that's what a book is. Like when you read a book, like a self-help or a um you know, a book that's trying to inspire joy or productivity or whatever it is, nearly everything you read in that book you already know, Mm. but somehow somebody else writing it and putting in a book and then you pick it up, it's just galvanising and just helps you go, oh, yeah, that's so true. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, that's so true. I need to remember that. So a book is really just for me a way of allowing people to remember and it also gives people the gift I say the joy maker experience is the gift of time time to stop and just think about you whether it be the you know the one and a half hour keynote or a three hour um workshop or a full day immersive it's giving yourself the the permission to just stop and think about yourself yeah absolutely and what's of value to you? Because we're all, you know, people are so busy these days running around. Nobody stops to think if what they're running around doing, they actually want to be doing. 
Yeah, no, it's so true. Well, thank you so much. If people want to find you, Christine, where can they go? Oh, look, if you want to find Tap Attack Oz, just go to tapattack-oz.com, which is T-A-P-A-T-A-K-O-Z.com. And then if you you want to find the Joymaker experience, just go to christinedenny.com. Great. And, and we'll pop those links in the show notes for you as well if yeah, anyone's yeah. interested. And you, yeah. Yeah. And just click on the Joymaker. And um, I think the Great Job Nature book, you can buy that online. And then the Joymaker, you can just send me an email and say, hey, come and talk to our community. So, like, if you've got a community of people and you just think they're a bit down in the doldrums, just say, hey, can you come and talk to my, it might have a book club. We'd like to just have the Joymaker experience for three hours or you might have a group of teenagers, 14 and over. I don't recommend under 14 because I think you want to have that sort of philosophical sort of, you know, thinking. And maturity. Maturity, that's the word, where they can um, think about it. But you might do something for a group of dance teachers in your area or whatever. Yeah. Amazing. I love that. All right, well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks, Josephine. And let me know and I'll share it around when it's out and about. Yay. Thank you. Thank- Great to chat. We need like a seven-hour podcast. I know, I know. (laughs) I know. Thanks. Bye. If you enjoyed listening and would like to hear more, be sure to click subscribe. If you're really feeling the love, share us with your friends. To work with me or to simply find out more about the magic of creativity, arts, and business, head to my website, josephinelancuba.com, and you can find me on socials. I also have a book that I've co-written with a bunch of amazing entrepreneurial women called The Women Changing the World. And you can grab a copy of that at josephinelancuba.com forward slash books. Thanks for listening.